0: Good morning, good morning. Great to see you in the house of the Lord today. Let's stand together. Begin our time of worship together this morning. Forever God is faithful.
1: Will you bow your head with me? Dear Jesus, we just thank you so much for this morning, for this time of worship in this beautiful building, worshiping your name and that you are forever. We pray now for this morning of worship that you would be with us, that you would be in this place, that you would speak to our hearts. We love you, we praise you. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray, amen. You may be seated. I do want to welcome you to First Baptist Course of Canada this morning. We are so blessed to have you here. If you are new here, um, we have a guest card in our pew that you can fill out. We would love to get to know you a little bit so that we can contact you later this week and just say thank you for being here this morning. And then for anybody here on the back of those, I don't know if you know this, we've got a prayer request um, form on the back. If you know of a prayer that we need to be praying for as a staff here in the community, please fill that out and let us know. We do not pass plates any more just with the times and so we do have prayer uh, receptacles out in the foyer that you can turn these in again we just want to say thank you for being here and welcome to worship this morning
0: send a great revival in my soul
2: Here we go, last verse. And I'll be wow. good for the.
3: Descending Bring from Fix submission. All is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking up, filled with His goodness, lost in Him. All right, sing it out. This is my story This is my God's people said, amen. Let's pray
0: together. Father, thank you today for being in this place with us. Father, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Father, it is our desire today, as you've looked down in this place, that you've been pleased with our worship. Father, we were created to glorify you, and that's what we've come to do today. This is our story. This is our song that we sing about. Praising you, our Savior, all the day long. All the days of the week. So, Father, be with us now. As we hear from you. Be with our pastor as he brings the message today. Be with those that need you in a special way. A special way of healing. Father, it's good to see those back that have been ill. It's good to see Philip Keltner, Sharon Eddins, many others that have, have been sick. Father, thank you for restoring them. Father, be with us today. Speak to our hearts. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
4: Amen. Amen. Be seated. Thank you so much for being here this morning. And um, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. And um, it is a it feels good to be back in the pulpit today. And um, many of you had not seen me since my surgery, and um, I am doing very very well. About two and a half weeks away from that, I've got this microphone on my head. It's behind my ear, and I'm in I'm in debate right now, wondering if I can keep this on my head. It's kind of digging into my ear. So we'll see how this goes. If you see me wincing or making some awkward facial expression you you'll know that this this microphone's not going well but I am excited to be here um, I'm glad you're here and um, I look forward to what God's going to do just in case. just in case I like that plan all right here's my question as we begin this morning do you think you've ever had a bad day? I mean think through your life I know it's going to be hard to imagine it could have happened to even you but do you think that you have had a really bad day. Now, if you think that this morning, I want to tell you about a man whose day may have been just a little bit worse than yours. And it's a story that I read a long time ago. It was a man who was injured while working on a job. And this is how he filled out his accident report. I'm going to read it to you this morning because I simply cannot improve on it. You just need to hear how he shared. And here's what he wrote. He said, I was laying bricks for a wall at a project, and when I finished the top of the wall, there were some extra bricks. Not wanting to drop the bricks and risk breaking them, I fixed a pulley out on a beam. I I ran a rope through the pulley down to the barrel on the ground, filled with the bricks, and I pulled the barrel up to the top of the wall and tied off the rope on the ground. I climbed up on the scaffold, and I loaded those extra bricks into that wooden barrel, and then I climbed down, grabbed the scaffold and and, and, and the rope, and I untied it. I was going to lower the barrel bricks to the ground, not realizing that the barrel of bricks was heavier than me. He said, the barrel came down and I was jerked off the ground by the rope. I didn't have the presence of mind to let go, so I, I hung on and then it was too late, Right. I hung on, excuse me, I I lost my place in my notes right here. I didn't have the presence of mind to let go, so I hung on, and then it was too late on the way up. I collided with the falling barrel of bricks, and it gashed my shoulder. Then when I was pulled to the top, I jammed my fingers into the pulley, and when the barrel hit the ground, the bottom of the barrel broke the bricks, broke open, and the bricks fell out suddenly. The barrel was now lighter than me. So I went down, and the barrel now came up. On the way down, I collided again with the barrel, bruising my legs. I fell right on top of the pile of broken bricks causing multiple cuts and bruises. At that point, I completely lost my cool, and I let go of the rope, and that's when the barrel came down falling on me. It hit me on the head, causing a cut requiring 15 stitches. And so I ask you again this morning, have you ever had a bad day, right? Uh, This morning, I I start with that because I want to talk to you about how to deal with With bad days. Uh, There is no doubt that every one of us in this room today have had bad days in our lives and and we need to understand how to deal with those. And to get into this discussion, let me just take a step back and remind you where we were before we had all of these breaks. We were beginning this march um, into the Old Testament. I've really felt led of God for us to go back and and capture some of those amazing classic stories, those high moments in the Old Testament where we see God's people following God in very real ways. And I think in that process, also it's good for us to go back and embrace some of those ancestors in our faith that really teach us what it means to follow and pursue God. And so in that process so far, we've already talked about David. Uh, We were reminded in that message that, that, that the kind of person that God uses, and we looked at David and how he was chosen and all of those things. And then we talked about how David faced Goliath, and that was a wonderful story from our childhood that we still cherish even today. And then we had the chance to talk about Elijah. And the last time that We were with Elijah, where was he? He was on top of Mount Carmel, and we see these amazing things happening in Elijah's life, but we're reminded over in the New Testament book of James that Elijah was a man just like us. Now, we're going to be back with Elijah today, and I'm going to come back to that in just a moment um, when we talk about Elijah again, but right now, I want to talk about these bad days, and, and I want to be very focused on this this morning because here's, here's the truth, I want to talk this morning about depression, because bad days lead some of us to face depression. The title of the message today is God's Prescription for Depression. So when you have a bad day, you get a little discouraged. When you get a little discouraged, sometimes it leads to a little bit of depression. And if you're facing that today, and I know that some of us in this room Some of us watching online today, sometime in our life, maybe even right now, maybe you're facing depression, and I just want to say to you simply this, that God has something to say to you. And if you've gone through times of depression, I want to add this to it, you're also not alone. I want you to listen to some of the people who have suffered through periods of depression in their life. Abraham Lincoln, one of our greatest of all presidents, dealt with depression. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers in all of history, they tell us that he dealt with periods of depression. Um, the great Winston Churchill, the prime minister during World War II of Great Britain, it says that, that he dealt with depression. And then even the wife of the late Billy Graham, Ruth Bell Graham, she also dealt with periods of depression. And so if you, if you face that today, recognize you're not alone. But here's the question, how do I know that I'm really depressed? Well, I began reading a little bit and I I found a psychiatrist, a clinical psychiatrist, his name is Dr. Wayne Oates, and he offers his clients 10 questions. And he said, if your answer is yes to seven of these 10, then you're probably someone who is currently depressed, seven of 10. And so we're going to put these questions on the screen this morning and we're just going to walk through and you can do a little self test. All right. Uh, Question number one, have you suddenly or slowly lost all initiative in relating to other people? All right. Just remember if you say yes or no, just track it yourself. Question number two, do you experience repeated crying spells that have no apparent cause? Have you persistently, over a period of weeks, awakened suddenly and been unable to return to sleep for over an hour? Number four, do you awaken in the morning feeling tired and face the day with dread? Number five, do you feel pain of an unspecific, scattered kind and aching all over? Number six, do you find yourself thinking about your own death, wishing life were over? Number seven, do you breathe irregularly, sigh repeatedly, and feel heavy in the chest? Number eight, do you distrust your own wisdom, have trouble making decisions, or feel generally helpless? Number nine, do you find yourself irritable, cross, without any reason? And then number ten, do you have trouble being enthusiastic about anything? Now remember that Dr. Oates says if you answered yes to seven of those ten, chances are that you are clinically depressed. But I want to say this again, if, if that's you, if you're depressed, if you're going through periods of depression, if you do that from time to time, don't worry because even some of the greatest saints of all history have faced periods of depression. And I bring all that up for this reason, that's where we find Elijah today. It's interesting that that's exactly where we find this historic figure of faith this morning. And remember last time we saw Elijah, he was enjoying great victory on the top of Mount Carmel. God had done great things, but as soon as that was over, we see Elijah go through a period of depression. I want you to take your Bibles today and go with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, we're actually going to read all of 1 Kings 19 today, but we're going to start off right now with the first nine verses. Let's go ahead and stand together as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. First Kings 19, verses 1 through 9, and I'll read, as always, from the New International Version. Here we go. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say... May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, Elijah, I'm coming after you, right? Elijah was afraid, it says in verse 3. And he ran for his life. This is shocking to us, but that's what he did. He ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah... He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Here's his prayer. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under that tree, and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and he drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, and there He went into a cave and spent the night. Today, it's my prayer. I want it to be our prayer that God would speak to us this morning, that He would encourage our spirit, that He would truly give us the prescription for depression. Um, You can be seated. I want to start with this today, if I can we're going to walk through three things that we see in Elijah, and the first one is this. Elijah, first of all, let's just be honest, he was physically exhausted. Do you see that in the text? And, and I want to start with that because I, I want to say this to us. Sometimes we may look upon depression as something that is as something to be shunned, but you know what? The truth is it's really easy to get depressed. And And I don't know that there's a single one of us in this room that haven't faced it. Now, some of you are more jolly and chipper and happy than others, right? Um, But I think it's real easy to get depressed. And it's especially easy when you're physically drained and exhausted. So look at what God says to Elijah right here. Very simply, the angel of God, God himself through the angel says, Get up, get up, and I will feed you. Friends, sometimes people get depressed because they don't care for themselves physically. Elijah had run. Now, now when we read that in the text, we just just read that Elijah ran. But I want you to look at this. He apparently ran nonstop from Mount Carmel all the way to Beersheba. Folks, that's 160 miles in the desert. That's the, the most super of super marathons. I mean, Elijah has pulled a Forrest Gump right here on the pages of the Bible. He ran, he ran, he ran, and he ran, right? Totally exhausted. And then he hadn't eaten right. He hadn't gotten enough sleep. He was thirsty. He was dehydrated. He was completely physically drained. And he prays, Lord, I've had enough. Just take my life. Have you ever said that? Every time I, I read this particular story, I'm always reminded of a pastor named Benjamin Franklin Dykes. B.F. Dykes. Can you imagine that? Another pastor named B.F. <laughs> B.F. Dykes. In 1936, he was preaching this very text where Elijah says, I've had enough, Lord. I'm ready to die, right? And B.F. Dykes walks down out of the pulpit and right there in front of the church. True story. He falls over dead. And, and you say, how horrible. But you know, not if you're a preacher of the gospel. Could there be a better way to go, right? Than to preach the word of God and then the Lord to take you home. But apparently God answered Brother Dyke's prayer. But he didn't answer Elijah's prayer. He says, Elijah, I'm not through with you. Don't just lay there feeling sorry for yourself. No, get up. And sometimes when we're depressed, that's the hardest thing to do. We don't want to do anything. We don't want to get up. We don't want to get out of bed. We don't want to lift our head. We don't want to go anywhere. We don't want to do anything at all, right? We just want to lay around and feel sorry for ourselves. Uh, the great John Wesley, the the, the, um, the founder of the Methodist Church, he was a man who believed in activity and serving God diligently. And, and one time he went to see a man who was having this, his own personal pity party and he wouldn't get out of bed. And here's what he said. Brother Wesley... Would you just pray that God would give me the strength to get out of this bed? And here's what John Wesley said. You get one foot out of that bed, and then I'll pray for the other foot, right? (laughs) And I think that's what God's saying. I think that's what he's saying to Elijah. He was saying, Elijah, don't just lay there. No, get up. Get up. And then God fed him. Now, if we're really observant in this story, If we're really observant, we're going to see three things that God gives Elijah to deal with his physical condition. And this is where I come up with the title of the message, God's Prescription for Depression. And there's three things that he offers. Write these down for yourself. These are super easy. We're not going to go really deep. We're just going to be profound in the simplicity of this. First of all, God's prescription, sleep, right? Sleep. How many of you like to sleep? Raise your hand some of you okay let me rephrase it how many of you love to sleep all right now now we get more hands one of the big issues for people that are depressed is they haven't gotten enough rest And if you're not getting enough rest, it builds up, it accumulates, and you go deeper and deeper into what they call sleep deficit, right? And before you know it, you're going through this time of depression. And part of the problem is you're just not taking care of your body. You're not getting enough sleep. And so you're going to hear it from the pulpit today. Get some rest. Go go to sleep. Not right now, okay? Not during the message. (laughs) But go home and take a nap. Go to bed early. Don't stay up late. Get eight hours of sleep, right? Just like the doctor tells us to do. If you'll get some rest, you'll feel better. There's simplicity in this. God's second piece of this prescription is eat. First of all, sleep. Second of all, eat. God gave Elijah some food right there. He fed him. And sometimes when people are depressed, it can be just because they're not eating right. Maybe they've gotten too much junk food. Maybe they've gotten too much processed food. Maybe they're not really taking care of their nourishment properly. God fed Elijah some cake and and a little bit of water to drink, right? Some kind of cake. Probably not the kind of cake we think of. Probably like a cornbread or a biscuit or something like this. But but we need to get enough sleep. We need to eat correctly. The third element in this, God's prescription, exercise. Sleep and eat and get some exercise. Look at verse 8. You say, Pastor, it's not like he didn't have enough exercise already, but look at what it says. So he got up and he ate and he drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights. You thought the 160-mile run to Beersheba was a lot. But God says, not only do I want you to get enough sleep and eat, he says, I also want you to get some exercise. Now, folks, it may be that simple for you. I'm not a physician in this area and I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but I do think that we see some truth in the Bible. Maybe you're going through a time of depression and the issue in God's prescription for you is simply this, go get the rest that you need, go eat the right things and try walking for 40 days and see if you don't feel better. Yesterday I was outside all day long. Wasn't that a gorgeous day by the way? It was absolutely stunning. We don't get days like that in Corsicana, Texas. You've got to be outside in that. It was gorgeous. No humidity, no mosquitoes. Praise be to God, right? (laughs) Elijah was physically exhausted, but sometimes it's more than that. I understand. So let's go to the second thing. Elijah also was spiritually defeated. And God says when you're spiritually defeated, and this is what we need to hear today, God says, I'm going to speak to you. Let's go back to the text. This time, 1 Kings 19, we're going to pick it up in verse 9, and then we're going to read all the way through verse 13. Elijah was spiritually defeated. Let's read about it. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. This is one of those classic moments in scripture that we read about, and sometimes we don't know all the context that gets us in and out of the passage. Here it is. And he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here? Elijah. That's a very notable question, isn't it? What are you doing here? Elijah. Has God ever said that to you? What are you doing here? And when he asked Elijah, I, I'm going to kind of expound on it. I think here's what God means. The last time I saw you, you were on top of Mount Carmel. You were calling down fire from heaven. You had great faith. You had great confidence, right? But now look at you, Elijah. What are you, what are you doing? And I love what happens. A great hurricane blows the rocks apart, and Elijah says, oh, God's in this. You've got to be in that type of strength exhibit. But he didn't find God there. And then there was an earthquake. Surely, God, you're in an earth-shattering, earth-moving experience. But God wasn't in that either. And then there was a fire, and, and just a couple of days ago, Elijah had seen God in the fire. And he says, God, you have to be in the fire, but God wasn't in the fire either. You see, God had talked in those ways, right? God had been in the wind previously. He had been in the earthquakes previously. He had been in the fire, but he wasn't Doing that now. And there's a lesson right here for God's people. Even all of these centuries later, sometimes when you get spiritually defeated, God says, don't depend on the way I used to deal with you. Yesterday's manna, it's no good anymore. It's rotten. The experience you had 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it's no good. It doesn't happen that way now. It's not what I'm about in this moment. I want to give you a new revelation of myself, so listen up, and I'm going to talk to you, and you're going to be surprised in how I talk to you. And I've heard in church over all these years, Elijah just get beaten up for this. Haven't you? I've heard preachers say, I don't get Elijah. He was just on top of Mount Carmel. He was Ruling the world, right? The prophets of Baal had challenged him and he had challenged them. And, and they cried and cut themselves and all of that craziness in their, their cult worship. And then he calls down fire from heaven and God delivers. And boom, all those prophets are massacred. And you would think that Elijah is on top of a mountain even still. But here's what I've found in ministry. And this is when you, when you arrive at this point. And I, I've been in ministry now 31 years, between 30 and 31. And when you get to this point, you, you begin to have some, some education that you didn't have in the books, right? And here's what I've learned. In the Bible, depression is the shadow that's cast on the other side of mountaintop experiences with God. I'm going to say that again. In the the Bible, depression is the shadow that's cast on the other side of those mountaintop experiences. And, And if we don't believe that, let me just offer you two examples. Let's start by talking about Moses. Moses had a moment just like this. He had parted the Red Sea. We know that story, right? Uh, they are between a rock and a hard place. Pharaoh's armies are coming. The Red Sea's before them. Moses gets to be a part of parting the Red Sea. God uses him. In the process, the water stands up. The people walk through on dry ground. The water comes back on top of Pharaoh's forces. It is a mountaintop moment in the Bible. But as soon as that happens, just a couple of days later, they're in the desert without water, and Moses goes from being Moses, Moses, he's our hero, to Moses, Moses, he's a zero Right right after a mountaintop experience. Same thing happens with Jonah. You remember Jonah's story? God gets his attention by swallowing him with a big fish. Not a whale, but a big fish, the Bible says, right? And, and, and the whale spits him out over on Nineveh. And, and, then, and he didn't want to preach there, but when he does, what happens? Revival breaks out. Everybody in the whole town repents according to Scripture. It's a mountaintop experience. Preachers live for moments like that. Everybody heard the message and they repented. But just a few days later in Jonah chapter 4, he's sitting under a gourd vine, griping and complaining, and here's his words, Oh, I just wish I'd never even been born. Friends, sometimes depression is the shadow that's cast right after a great mountaintop experience. You see, Elijah is depressed even after Mount Carmel. And now he's looking for God in the wrong place. Are you? And he thought God was still on the fire, when now he's only in the whisper. Are you listening? Folks, when we're depressed, it may be a physical problem, but it may be a spiritual disconnect, you see. Elijah was physically exhausted. Elijah was spiritually defeated. Let's let's move on to this third thing. Elijah was emotionally depleted. Emotionally. And his biggest problem is he thought he was the only righteous one left. And God says right here in this text, we're about to read it, link up with other people because I have other people to help you. Let's go back now to 1 Kings 19. This time we're going to pick it up in verse 14. We're going to go all the way down to 21. 1 Kings 19, verse 14. Elijah replies, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Emotional depletion. I'm the only one, God. But the Lord says to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him, and and he threw his cloak around him. Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah, and he became his attendant. Folks, do you all see the problem with Elijah? He's under this broom tree, right? And he's saying, God, I've had enough. I'm so discouraged. I'm so depressed. I'm the only one. Just let me die. He was physically drained, spiritually defeated, but he was also emotionally spent. He was lonely. How many of us in this room would say, Pastor, I understand loneliness. Even in a crowd of people, you're still lonely. And did you know if you don't have any people with whom you can link up for support and friendship, you're going to be depressed too. You have to have others. I'm going I'm to take you into the seminary just a little bit. There is a strain of teaching at the seminary level that teaches that pastors need to be professionally separated from their congregation. It's it's one strain of, of teaching. It used to be there. It's less today. It's terrible. They say that pastors need to be different from their congregation so that they can be the pastor. And they've actually said this over the years. Don't make friends with members in your church. And I say, could that be the reason in a recent study in a leadership magazine that 70% of American pastors say they don't have any close friends? And could that be why, according to that same leadership magazine, that every week in America, 1,500 ministers are leaving the ministry? Why? Because they're emotionally spent. They don't have any strength. They don't have the support that they need. They don't have a network of real friends who love them as people. But God said, Elijah, I know you're depressed because you think you're all alone, but it's not true. What an encouraging word. God says there's Hazael, there's Jehu, there's Elijah, and hey, by the way, there are 7,000 others. And you need to go link up with those people. So if you're depressed, hear me today, you need to just look around and find some brothers and sisters in Christ that'll surround you and hold you and, and, and give you strength. And let me say this, kind of end of the church, you need to be a part of a small group. You say, pastor, I come to church every Sunday. If you come to big church, worship, right? You can still come here and not really have any connection. But you need, as I called it previously years ago in a sermon, you also need small church. You need to be a part of a Sunday school class where people know your name and you know them and they call you when you're not there and they support you with what you're going through. Big church is good, but you're missing out if you're not connected to small church. And let me me add this. If you're here and you feel alone, if you feel some depression, right now, First Baptist Church, the people to your right and left and front behind, we are volunteering to be your group of friends and family. Somebody say amen to that. We're here for you. The Bible never says we're going to live without depression, but it does tell us that God has a prescription. He says, don't just lie there, get up. Don't you dare think God's not speaking, listen up. And don't think you're all alone, link up with others. I want to close with this story. A man goes to his pastor, he was going through this great financial crisis. I mean, the guy had lost literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. He owed everybody. I mean, all of the collectors were lining up to get some money. And the pastor asked him one day, he said, how in the world are you even surviving? How can you smile? How can you be so enthusiastic about Jesus and about life with all that, that you're being faced with, all these problems? And the man told the pastor, he said, next time you come to my house, I'm going to show you how. So the pastor now is super curious. So he, he plans a visit. He's going over. He's going to find out what the secret sauce is. So he, he goes, and immediately the man takes him into the den And there in the den was a painting on the wall, and it was a painting of that classic story, Daniel and the lion's den, right? And the man pointed the painting, and he said, look at that. He said, that's where I get my strength. Let's look at the painting together. I want you to look at this this painting. The man standing there with his pastor said, do you know something significant? He said, all those lions, they're they're ready, right? They're ready for lunch. But Daniel, his eyes are focused on the light and not on the lions. And he said, that's the thing that gives me strength. And friend, I, I think that's what God is saying to you. When you get...